0: So i I was just saying that um, it's great to be the closer, and uh, that I'll 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 try to be the Mariano Rivera of this conference and 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 not the Brad Lidge, of this conference. If you've been following what's been going on this season in baseball, and you know Brad Lidge keeps serving up gopher balls in the ninth inning. And uh, so anyway, but I will tell you in keeping with with uh, Herb Asher's comments uh, yesterday that this is going to be a great presentation. So <laughs> just get ready, <laughs> he, he modestly said, right? So I call this Transformation and Polarization. This is actually uh, you know, a slight variation on the paper I presented at the APSA meeting, but I decided to, uh, to change the title a little bit. Number one, so that I can now claim that this is a different presentation. Um, you know, I can put it on my Vita. On my, uh, and also so I could get in the word polarization and then use that as a plug for my uh, forthcoming book, uh, Yale University Press uh, 2010, which is called The Disappearing Center, uh, Engaged Citizens, Polarization, and American Democracy, and should be available early in 2010. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about here is related to some of the themes of that book. So um, two major conclusions from the 2008 election. This, this, is, this is sort of the, uh, I told somebody else, the, the view from 30,000 feet of the election. Um, I want to kind of stand back and try to put the 2008 election in uh, sort of a longer-term historical perspective, uh, and the two themes are related to the title of the talk, obviously. Uh, one, I'm going to talk about some demographic trends and generational uh, trends that I think are, are changing the American electorate in very, very significant ways, um, and uh, uh, try to interpret what happened in 2008 as kind of part of that. Um, so... It's not so much that I see 2008 in itself as a transformational election, but that I see 2008 as being part of an ongoing transformation that's taking place. Um, And and the second point, though, is that in the context of that transformation, we see that uh, the country remains very deeply divided uh, along numerous lines, geographic, racial, generational, religious, and and above all, partisan. And so I'll touch on that. And and, and then I want to uh, suggest that maybe these two trends are actually related in the sense that I think some of the demographic changes, the changes that are taking place in American society, are to some extent driving some of this polarization. And I think that becomes particularly evident when we look at some of the things that have happened since the 2008 election this year. Um, so the election results, I don't have to talk about that. Everyone knows what happened. Um, the electoral map, um, y- you know, you've all seen this one, obviously. And, and you look at that, and, and of course, what I always like to point out to my students is, you know, it makes the country look like it's really more red than blue, but then, of course, if you look at it in terms of uh, the uh, number of electoral votes per state, and unfortunately, Alaska and Hawaii get left out here, but it wouldn't make any difference. Uh, what I like is, look at what happens to Montana. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, I apologize to anyone here from Montana, but uh, it, it, it shows much more clearly, I think, the, the reality of the 2008 presidential election, which was that McCain's strength was really concentrated in one region of the country, namely the South, and that outside of the South, this election really was a landslide for Barack Obama. Um, so and there's a, there is a sharp regional divide. First of all, what's more, one of the most important things and obvious things about this election? John McCain, uh, e- even though Barack Obama made some inroads in the South, carried three states in the South, uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, McCain won 54% of the popular vote and two-thirds of the electoral votes from the South. Obama won 57% of the popular vote outside the South, uh, 84% of the electoral vote, including 100% of the electoral vote in the Northeast, 100% of the electoral vote on the Pacific Coast states unless – except for Alaska. Um, so it was a very regionally divided election. Uh, and beyond just the regional divide, what we see in general is a deeper blues and reds in 2008 – Uh, The number of uh, closely contested states is the smallest it's been and as far back as I can, you know, find. And if you look at um, reasonably competitive elections, um, the average state margin of victory increases uh, from 2004. Uh, Obama carried 22 of of his 28 states by 10 points or more, only four states by less than five points. Uh, But McCain also, you know, even in losing the election, McCain carries 15 states by 10 points or more, only two states by less than five points. So we see this big increase in the spread. Um, and looking at this over time, we see that this is a pretty dramatic change. Um, so look at the, the, the number of uh, battleground states, at least in states that ended up being very close. Um, some states that were not ended up not being close were considered battlegrounds and didn't turn out to be very close. But, you know, back in 1960 and 1976, two uh, nationally competitive elections – you know, 20 states in, were decided by less than five points, and all the big states—you know, New York, California, Texas, Illinois, and not just Ohio, Florida, and Pennsylvania—all the big states were battlegrounds in those elections. 2004, not no longer. 2006, uh, 2008, even less. Uh, only six battleground states. Uh, that you know, 26 states decided by 15 points or more, and uh, and uh, 274 electoral votes. Uh, more than half of the electoral votes uh, from these landslide states. So you know, the number of true battleground states is getting smaller and smaller. We're seeing this greater and greater dispersion. Um, in addition to that geographic divide, that growing geographic di- divide, we see uh, an electorate divided by race, age, and religion. The racial gap, um, the Democratic share of the African American vote, of course, it goes up from 88 to 95. Um, share of the Hispanic vote goes up from 54 to 66. This is all from the national exit poll. The Democrat share of the white vote only goes up from 41 percent to 43 percent. So the 52 point gap there between African Americans and whites is the largest since 1984. Um, so really a, a huge gap there. Um, sharp regional differences though in white support for Obama. In, in the Deep South, Obama's just doing dreadfully among white voters. 10 percent in Alabama, 11 percent in Mississippi. Um, I think 14% in Louisiana uh, worse than Kerry now Kerry did terribly in the south and in the deep south in particular Obama did worse among white voters in the deep south in the rim south it's 35 to 40% enough to allow him to carry uh, North Carolina and Virginia because of strong African-American turnout and, and overwhelming support there. In the Midwest and Northeast, it's getting, he's getting 50 percent, close to 50 percent, in some cases over 50 percent, you know, and in the, on the Pacific Coast, likewise. So, you know, outside the South, in some states in the Northeast and uh, on the Pacific Coast, Obama's getting 55 to 60 percent of the white vote versus 10 to 15 percent in the Deep South. So quite a dramatic difference there. Certainly suggests that racial animosity or resentment or whatever you want to call it was a factor uh, particularly in the in the deep south there a growing generation gap uh, everyone's aware of this Obama got you know over two, got two thirds of the vote among voters under thirty that group voters under thirty accounted for eighty percent of obama 's overall popular vote margin in the country that's that's how important that was to him um, so at the same time the democratic share of the vote among People 65 and older actually falls from 46 to 45 percent. So we see this yawning generation gap open up. You know, before it was relatively small, it was there. Now it's much, much larger. Um, A continuing religious divide among white voters. You know, we've we've heard a lot about. You know, so if you see a car with this on it, you know, you could probably predict with a very high degree of accuracy who that person's going to vote for. Likewise. This one, maybe not quite as high a degree, but despite the talk this morning, I would suggest that still, you know, I would place my money on this being a, uh, a McCain voter, unless it was an African-American's car. Okay. Um, so among white voters, there is a still a very, very big divide. The percentage of whites, and of course you have to control for race here, because um, among African-Americans, this variable just doesn't, you know, doesn't work. But, uh, you know, the most regular churchgoers, Obama's getting 25 percent of their vote, but he's getting uh, over you know half, well over half of the vote among those who never, never attend religious services. Uh, and I appreciate that there are religious liberals. Uh, there, there are you know there is a Christian left, I think, but it just kind of gets uh, dwarfed uh, because it's much smaller. The reality is it's just much smaller than the religious right. Um, so. How did Obama win the election decisively despite he lost the white vote by 12 points? Uh, same as Al Gore in 2000, same percentage margin. Uh, all those white people, you know, all those white people for, for McCain, uh, uh, how, how does Obama overcome that? Well, obviously, a lot of it had to do with, the ch- you know, changing racial composition of the electorate. This is actually a picture that was uh, in the newspaper in, in Atlanta and uh, during the uh, early voting and uh, after this picture appeared, I remember, um, I think it was uh, Saxby Chambliss, who was in a race for re-election to the Senate, you know, put out the word to his supporters: those people are voting. That was exactly what he said: those people are voting. I <laughs> I, I, be- I believe so. And let me tell you, if I was standing next to him, I would definitely want to make sure I voted the right way. Because
1: <laughs> we know from U.S. right.
0: That's right. (laughs) That's yeah. So anyway, look at the. uh, So this is the trend in terms of the you know the growth of the non-white electorate since 1992. So showing you know African Americans and then uh, Latinos and other non-whites and you know throwing in Latinos with non-whites because you know that's just the way we do it. Um, And you know clearly we see this you know fairly dramatic increase. Um, the proportion, uh, the non-white share of the electorate has doubled since 1992. It was 13%. It had only been going up slowly before that. So it's gone from 13% in 1992 to 26% in, in 2008. And obviously the biggest part of that is from the other non-white, from most, mostly Hispanics. Uh, uh, but also there's been a, you know, an increase in the non, in the African-American share of the electorate, not just in 2008, although that was a big one, but, you know, it's... Uh, from 92 to 96, and a little bit from 2000 to 2004 as well. So um, it's gone from about 8% in 92 to, uh, to 13% of the electorate in, uh, in 08. Um, th- this is my favorite table, just showing just what this meant in terms of the actual plurality in votes. So if you, if you compare how Obama won the election in 2008 with how Bill Clinton won his two elections in 92 and 96... You know, there's just a dramatic difference in the way their in their, their coalitions. Uh, basically, Bill Clinton won the election by minimizing the Republican margin among white voters. He still lost the white vote, but he lost it by a very small margin, and only, only uh, you know between uh, to about two million votes. Obama lost the white vote by almost 12 million votes, you know, but more in absolute votes than Gore. But look what happens here. Obama is more than offsetting that, mar- that, that that loss among white voters by winning the non-white vote—African Americans, Latinos, and other non-whites by about 21 million votes. So that's been growing. I the Democratic margin among non-whites has been growing already, but it just you know it, it increases so dramatically in, in in 2006, and that is where you know you get the 9.5 million vote plurality. So. Um, what, do we, what we know is that the non-white share of the electorate is going to con- continue growing. Um, we can see that if we look at if you, if you look at the racial breakdown of the electorate in uh, in 2008 and just break it down by age. You know, voters under 30. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why voters under 30 went so strongly for Obama is that the non-white proportion of voters in that group is much larger than it is among older age. Look at, compare voters 65 and older. I, I, I call them the departing electorate.
2: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite
0: yet in that group, but I will be soon enough. But uh, we don't want you to leave immediately. You'll be facing the death panels shortly.
2: <laughs>
0: but compare that to the, the incoming electorate. You know, the electorate, those under the age of 18... You know, and, and the younger group you look at, of course, you know, it's 40% of those 14 to 17 are non-white. Uh, now, it won't be quite as dramatic in terms of voters, of course, you know, because of non-citizenship, because of uh, registration and turnout factors. But certainly, you know, we're going to see uh, uh, you know, this continue. And uh, you know, the Census Bureau is projecting, what, by 2040 now, the United States is going to be a majority-minority country. I think it was 2015, maybe they moved it up. Maybe they'll have to move it back because immigration may be going down again. But, <clears throat> but the, certainly this trend is going to continue. Um, so, you know, the question then becomes, can Obama bring us together? You know, this, this new, this diverse electorate, can he bring us together? Well, I think you know the answer to that question. Um, you know, probably not. If you've been watching, you know, the, the Tea Party, uh, uh, the so-called Tea Parties, the, t- the town halls, you know, white, <laughs> white white people are
2: upset. <laughs>
0: I think there's actually a, a maybe a non-white person in that picture somewhere. That, that oh, cop yellow. was in the there. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because everyone's yellow. But it's sort of. Um, but you know, we've seen the signs that you know there's not exactly been a warm welcoming uh, of Obama by those on the other side. I like this one particularly. Yeah, this was about, you know, two weeks after he'd been in office. It was time to impeach him. So we know, of course, you know, from Gar- Gary uh, has convinced us. I-, I am absolutely convinced by Gary's work that Bush was a divider, not a uniter, uh, in so many ways. Uh, but the thing was, Bush governed in a very divisive way, in, man- in many ways. Uh, but what about Barack Obama? This is from uh, a CNN poll that was done in-, in April. This was back in April. You know, so this was, he'd been in office only three months. And uh, this just shows – I put together uh, – actually, it's a question about job performance. Um, agree, do you agree with him or disagree with him on the issues and something about his, his character or personality? Because they're very highly correlated with each other. Put them together, and this is the distribution that you got. You know, for Democrats, overwhelmingly positive. Republicans, not quite as overwhelmingly negative, but pretty negative. If we could, you know, had a more recent measure of this, I'm sure we'd see – that um, it would be even more, there'd be even more partisan polarization in these evaluations. We see this. This is the trend in the, in the weekly uh, uh, approval rating of, of Obama in the Gallup poll. And y- you can download their data, their aggregate level data, um, from their website. And you can see what's happened here. You know, Obama State is still up around 85%. Uh, I think it was actually maybe 88% in the most recent week. Um, and among Republicans is where he's come down. So the gap now is, is you know, it's close to where Bush was during much of his, his second term. Not, he hasn't quite, he hasn't matched Bush's all-time records that he set, but he's, he's getting close. So there's this huge divide. So the question is, you know, I like this because, you know, I think it's kind of cute. But um, So, you know, it's been suggested by Mo Fiorina, uh, um, and I hate to bash Mo because he's not here, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, that, uh, you know, it's really polarized choices that, that make the electorate look polarized. Americans, you know, the public, not really polarized. It's that the parties are presenting them with polarized choices. So uh, here's some data from, this was a Time magazine poll done in October, in early October, about a month before the election. Had a really, you know, good, reasonable uh, uh, result in terms of candidate support. Obama had about a five-point lead. Demographics look pretty reasonable. These are likely voters. So we are leaving out here the people that they judged were not likely to vote. So this is on you know gay marriage. We see this big partisan divide, um, and relatively few people in the middle on that. You know, the Republicans are all against it. Democrats not quite as much in favor. Overall, people are against it, but it's it's not uh, one sided. Um, Health care, you know, same thing, except it's you know Democrats who are in favor of it. Um, I mean the. It, it's, it's more positive overall. Um, the war in Iraq, it, it, no one will be surprised after what we've talked about already to see the big, big party divide on the war in Iraq. Um, and polarization is greatest uh, uh, among the most politically engaged members of the public, you know, people who are the most interested in politics, uh, who know the most, and, and, and who are the most active. Um, so this is just shows the correlation. This is from the 2008 NES the correlations between um, party ID and, and uh, issue scales and liberal conservative ID by number of activities. So, so zero people did nothing; they didn't vote, they didn't do anything else. One or most people who just voted and didn't do anything else. Um, then two and three are people who did, uh, you know, two activities, um, something beyond voting. Usually that was just talking to people. You know, that's the question: Did you talk to anyone about the election? Uh, and three or more are people who did, you know, two things beyond voting. And, the, and usually I'd be talking to people, and maybe they also had a yard sign or a bumper sticker or something like that. At least they claimed to. And um, about half the electorate uh, is in the zero or one, either voted, did nothing, or just voted. And about half uh, are in the two or three plus categories. You can see that you know the correlation between partisanship and all of these issues is so much stronger uh, among those who are more active, which means more polarization, more partisan polarization. The parties are more divided. Among people who do nothing, there's very little polarization. You know, Demo- the Democratic and Republican identifiers look very similar. But among those who are more active, uh, big divisions, this just shows um, what that distribution looks like if you put it together those eight questions into a scale. Um, and, and one point I wanted to make in response to some... some we've heard some discussion of ideology here, and there's a, too much of a tendency, I think, for us to equate ideology with the liberal conservative identification question. Uh, I think that uh, it, it makes more sense and actually works better if you think if, if you look at ideology in terms of consistency across different issues. Um, but what you find, of course, is is that um, the more politically engaged people are, uh, the more consistent they are, uh, the more constrained their opinions are, and the more consistent they are. So this is for the uh, the distribution for the, uh, the, the 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 more engaged folks. This is the the about half of the uh, uh, sample who engaged in um, two or more activities, which means they voted uh, and they did something else. Okay, and you can see, you know, how polarized it is. The Democrats are, are, you know, almost all on the left. Republicans are almost all on the right. And it doesn't look that different from the way Congress looks
3: like right
0: now. There's a little overlap. It's not totally uh, separated, but but it's, it's quite dramatic. When you look at the less engaged, particularly the people at zero, there's very little difference between Democrats and Republicans. So, um, a to that is means you took the conservative position on every, uh, or rather the liberal position on every issue. You took the liberal side on every issue. These, uh, these people took the conservative side on every issue. So there's a lot of consistency going on there among these more you know, politically engaged uh, folks. Um, so conclusions, polarization continues, uh, growth of the non-white electorate and especially the Hispanic electorate is transforming, uh, transforming the overall electorate. A possible generational realignment, of course, much will depend there uh, uh, on how Obama does, uh, how Obama's presidency is evaluated, um, because if Obama fails, uh, you know, the economy stays in the tank, I'm just going tanks, but it still hasn't come out of the tank, so if it stays in the tank, you know, if, if things don't get better, then, you know, this realignment almost certainly will be aborted. Um, if we come out of it, if we get solid economic growth, uh, then I think we could see uh, uh, a real long-term democratic advantage based on these demographic trends and generational replacement down the road. But, you know, just very quickly on these, what well, we've seen since the election, you know, we, you know, what explains the intense negative reactions of some Americans to Obama Um and, and, and uh, not everyone is intense as this, this guy, but, but, you know, a lot of this stuff, um, and, and certainly, you know, some of it clearly is being driven by, you know, right-wing uh, media commentators, pundits, you know, talk show hosts and people like that. Uh, but I think, in part, they're um, you know, getting this kind of response because people are receptive to their message. There is a minority, I think, but a sizable minority of the American public that are receptive to this anti-Obama message. Now, what is it based on? I, and this is just uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, suggesting what I think is going on here. Policy disagreements, I think, are clearly part of it. You know, and this is what Obama said you know, when he was asked about, you know, why do you think you're you know, getting this stuff? And his, rea- his comment was, oh, you know, well, I think it's mostly policy disagreements. He doesn't want to say it's race. Uh, but, and I think policy disagreements clearly have something to do with it because there are really big policy disagreements right now between Democrats and Republicans and particularly between the more active-engaged Democrats and active-engaged Republicans. Um, but racial resentment certainly has something to do with it. And we've seen lots of evidence you know, for, uh, for, for, for that. But I think beyond racial resentment, there's also a more general kind of fear of, of change that's going on here. And in a sense, among you know, those on the other side, People we're seeing at these tea parties and these, you know, uh, at these uh, uh, town halls, who are yelling and screaming, uh, and and not just them because they're a small minority, but the but the people who are kind of in sympathy with that uh, with that view, that you know, and you'll hear them saying things like you know we're we're going to take our country back, you know, because they feel like they've lost their country, and in a sense they're right. Or at least they're losing their country because the country is no, you know, this is no longer the same country that it was 40 or 50 years ago, and and 30 or 40 years from now, it's going to be even more, more different. And I think part of it's globalization and all that goes with that, uh, challenges to traditional values and lifestyles, you know, go into it, you know, the gay rights, women's rights, and, and all that, you know, generating a backlash, immigration generating a backlash. Certainly, immigration is one of the real hot button issues. Um, because again, it's part of this more general threat. So, uh, so I think all of those are right. So, transformation, I think, is actually generating increasing polarization, and I'm afraid it's not going to stop. I mean, I just don't see that ending um, because you know, the changes are going to continue. And 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 you know, if Obama is successful and he's reelected, uh, and this continues, it's going to become even more threatening. It's just going to kind of you know reinforce that sense that we're losing our country. Uh, if he's unsuccessful, you know, and he fails and the Republicans come back in power soon, uh, then, you know, it might have been actually to some extent, because, you know, generally it's, it's easier for people to get angry at when, when the other party's in power. You know, this, is, this is a great time to be a conservative pundit, uh, or, or talking head, like that, because it's easy to get people riled up. Uh, when Bush was in power, it was, you know, harder, because, uh, at least at the Even among conservatives, we're losing faith in Bush. So that's my story. Yeah. Uh,
2: Perhaps I get the first question because
4: I'm one of those, what did you call this?
2: uh... Yes. than the departed <laughs> and uh, once we're departed and now let me say we uh, once once we're departed 15 years from now 20 years from now uh, do you think that uh, when, when say college age students now are a, a much more predominant part yeah. of the electorate uh, that uh, they will that, that the electorate as a whole then uh, will be less fearful of globalization because they will have grown up with it it of course there it is they'll the traditional values that they grew up yes. with will be what we're now seeing yes. as, as very different. Right. So will there will there perhaps be a lot of people upset now, but sort of reaching an equilibrium as as uh, the well, well, inevitable well, occurs? Well,
0: maybe. I think I think that's possible. You know, I, I'm not trying to project that far ahead. You know, I think I'm I'm just projecting ahead maybe for the next you know, four to six years or something. Or looking at what might what might be 2012 you know what's the situation back, You know, I think what's going to happen. In 2004 and again in 2008, I think the the contests for the Democratic presidential nominations in both those elections were really about who was going to be the anti-Bush. Which candidate was going to emerge as the anti-Bush, and it was Kerry in 2004 and it was Obama in 2008. In 2012, I really think that the Republican presidential nomination is is going to be about who's going to be the anti-Obama. Who is going to speak most directly, and and, whose message is going to resonate most strongly you know, because what I see the Republican Party doing, at least for now, is, you know, sort of hunkering down. And, and you know, all the leading candidates are very conservative. You know, the message is, seems to be pretty consistently, let's get back to our conservative roots and traditions. You know, we don't need, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, we were not true to those <coughs> traditions. We weren't conservative enough. Um, all the leading contenders seem to be, you know, that's their message. Um, so... For the next few years I see more polarization. Eventually down the road, yep, yeah, that's maybe, but you yeah. know, as the size of the
1: you know as racial minorities A, a sort of a hopeless situation where Vietnam I mean, comes to mind. Yeah, Vietnam. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it would completely change this 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 whole agenda because I mean, it would all be caught by the Democrats and, and Republicans would just, would just just stand by and watch and, and probably uh, 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 take advantage of it. it. It could get to that. Yeah, um, there's no question.
0: I think that you know Afghanistan is a huge dilemma right now for Obama. His own party, own party space, and, and, and the, most of the leaders of his party in the Congress, uh, on the one hand, and, and the advice he's getting from his commanders on the other hand. I don't think it's you know it's, we're not it's not Vietnam yet. You know the, the size. Of
3: You have to do something on it before the primaries really get going in 2012. Well, I think that yes, and they they that's certainly part of a timetable. They would certainly they want to, to have
0: that issue, you know, out of the way or at least, you know, on the back burner by by 2012.
5: Alan, well. you calculated this in terms of the partisan polarization. I think quite appropriately, but of course it leaves out roughly a third. of
0: Well, see, I would not agree with that third. Uh, my view well, maybe is too high, but but my, my view is that the true, you know, the ind- leaning independence, is, you know, really, I, as far from my perspective, leaning independence are part. Um, if you look at not just how they vote, I mean, we know that in, in 2008, for example, um, independent Democrats voted overwhelmingly for pro- Obama, um, independent Republicans almost as overwhelmingly for McCain. Um, only seven. So, but not just beyond their voting patterns. If you look at their uh, preference across a range of issues, you find that by and large, independent Democrats look just like other Democrats. Independent Republicans look like just pretty much like other Republicans, and they are very, very different from each other. So, lumping them together is, I think, very misleading. So, I, you know, I tend to think that those people are mostly positive parties. You know, they just don't. You know, they call themselves independent. I know it's on.
5: Larger percentage that is who knows, but, but it's not insignificant, particularly if the parties are fairly well balanced in yeah. terms of partisan identifiers. And they are quite balanced. Uh Democrats of course have more identifiers mm-hmm. right now than Republicans, but
0: we know that can change sure. over time. And, yeah. and it did. No, Ten years
2: ago it was very different.
0: It's not set in stone. that much.
3: Than her, Um,
4: (laughs) I think. uh, I wanted to get back to your estimate, or if you could speculate on this for a little while, um, about if the polarization is estimated to continue and uh, the share of minority electorate is estimated to increase. Uh, My guess. Presumably, at some point, it
0: does. Uh, um, but uh, it, 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 the percentage so going up. In 2008, in order to win the national popular vote, McCain would have had to get about 60% of the white vote. If he got 55, he would have needed 60% of the white vote. Uh, that, that seems beyond reach. I mean, now, you know, we don't know. speculation about that, you know, could the Republicans, you know, could a rerun of 1994 um, because, you know, Obama's approval goes down to you know, health care, you know, collapse, fail, or whatever, uh, and I think the Republicans are, I think, almost certain he make gains in 2010, could be moderate? A smaller share of the in 2010 versus 2008. It will probably be instead
4: Will inevitably push right. the minority vote more heavily Democratic, especially in the Latino vote, yeah. which is now you know a big part of that share because they're going to be running on issues of the whole immigration or healthcare debate right now and Joe Wilson is an anti-immigrant. Debate. Right. How's that going to
3: if the Republican leaders don't control the media. Yeah, and if that's If the right, media yeah. are right-wing commentators that are beyond their control. what
0: happens when they do even you know, suggest yep. that, well, maybe this isn't so smart
3: In the last couple of minutes, I want to turn the question back to you all, though. Uh, As the comment was made before, this is the third conference that Mershon has been kind enough to sponsor. Uh, The first one was, you know, 2001, right after a very close presidential election. It was going to be on the health of American democracy uh, after the election. It was scheduled for, what was it, September 21st, 2001. And there was a slight difficulty that next to nobody was willing to get on a plane at that point, even if they were flying. Um, and so it got postponed. Uh, the hotels were kind enough to ad- recognize they weren't going to get any business anyhow. And as long as we gave them business half a year later, they were happy. But that, uh, the theme of the conference was the health of <laughs> democracy and so on. And by t- uh, when we did the same kind of conference in 2005, it was the wartime election, and that became the obvious theme for it. Uh, This election, the African-American president being elected, makes it transformative in some senses. But I want to turn to you all as you teach the parties course, Paul, or as you teach the American politics course, Helmut or Dick or Jan or other people, Bill in the room or Gary squared, Um, Matt. uh, um, What what do you see as the lesson of 2008? Uh, What significance is it going to have uh, down the road? Is it just an election that's sort of moving us towards, because of this polarization, moving us towards a new electorate, and it's just uh, waiting for some of us to leave and more people <laughs> to, <laughs> to gain of age and become part of the voters? Or what do you see as the significance of the election itself? Uh, Paul? Well,
5: one thing I would say really this really echoes what Alan said, and that is. And in many ways, they weren't. Yeah. And yet.
3: when there's applause by conservatives when Chicago doesn't get it, exactly. For a comparative uh, view on immigration and other topics. Tony?
1: Looking at it uh, comparatively, I suppose, it strikes me that America is becoming ungovernable. <laughs> becoming? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So you're not talking about parties, but if they're single entities. And so even if you get the lurch towards a minority... More minority centered democratic policy. It's, it's going to be split. I mean, it, it just seems to me that like, though this is, its like it's like reading about the uh, kind of French Fourth Republic or something where you you, can't, you simply can't build government policies. Well, I, I, I partially disagree. I mean, in that
0: uh, my, my argument—and I make this in, in the concluding chapter of my book, available shortly. The tables are outside. <laughs> Part of government in the United States in terms of the choices we're being offered in the elect- this, this is in the electorate, what's missing um, is, is really more just that the institutions don't match up. Um, in, in, in that you know we have these anti-majoritarian institutions. Uh, the most obvious right now being the you know Senate where
1: you need 60 votes, you know, maybe you know, we'll, we'll see. But well, on, on, on Governable. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, many, don't I don't disagree with you. with
3: you. We may
6: yeah. need constitutional reform. John? Yeah. Well, actually, Alan already talked about. It. You, ne- you never got around to using words Tweedle down, and Tweedle mm-hmm. but it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to go back to the to, uh, responsible two-party system. Maybe that's in your book, because by that standard, the August um, uh, APSA standard, we're now in nirvana. That's got what. A real I, I, choice I, between In, the, in the,
0: the preface, I start off actually.
3: Gary. Uh, along, these,
6: along these lines, uh, thinking about teaching this, uh, what I my, my stylized view of party system right now is that there is uh, a relatively small conservative Republican party, and there's the Republican coalition are basically conservatives, like the Southern conservative conservatives, and then there's this center-left. My stylized notion of what's going on, and it shows up in, for example, in in Congress, if you look at the Mm new Democrats elected in 2006 and 2008, Mm -hmm. two-thirds of them are from districts
3: I mean, I think we could have expected that after the 2000 election when it was decided by the Supreme Court. And, you know, some people certainly did question it, but after 9-11, the question went away. That You know, that wasn't going to be our major national concern. And somehow, unless there's another major national crisis, further issues can raise, be raised now. How about? I will take
1: a little contrarian view about the notion of polarization. I think I mean, most of the historic picture of polarization moving. the Democrats, and I think okay. these are the issues that count. and I, I think they're, uh, that doesn't fit into this sort of, sort of super polarized How about thing that you have, and you say, okay, yeah. well, you like Bush, okay, right. Right. I mean, uh, Democrats, well, you're, Democrats, you're kind of making that, sort of theory, I think if you really, really come down to the issues that have to be resolved, and I think, I mean, I'm sure if healthcare is going to be resolved in some way, it's going to be a very centrist, muddle through,
2: You asked well, for no a paint picture.
0: Paint I can show you a picture. We're confronting, for example, on climate change. What should we do about that? Is it real? Uh, and if so, what should we do about it? There's huge polarization on that. I mean, Democrats are pretty much on one side, not partly, but you know, largely on board with, yeah, it's real, and yeah, we need you know, to deal with it in favor
1: Yeah, but those no answers come on. Come on. Hell, but Hell, but those, those
3: answers. Which comes first, yeah, Alan? Which calling. Alan? Which comes first? Are they Republicans and therefore taking the Republican position, and Democrats therefore taking the Democrat? I mean, I mean, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And I think we're down to one last yeah. comment yeah. or question. And I think the two collaborators both had their hands up. So Gary and Matt, if you want to yeah. choose between you, <laughs> Gary. <Yeah. laughs>
7: Ha ha
3: ha And dangerous? I'm sorry? And dangerous? And dangerous.
7: And no. but my second comment would be that the regional... From the Zero in New England. No reps in New England. Um, and 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 then we've got.
3: And moving, again, moving this forward a few decades raises more questions, if this is just temporary or if this is just the beginning of further trends well, the there. The
0: growing minority population will definitely yeah. have an impact on that because yeah. you know, some of the southern states, particularly Texas, you
6: know, the minority population, the Hispanic population is growing pretty rapidly, so if you project
4: ahead of 12, 16 years, that,
3: that can definitely change. Well, I think... Uh, Thank you all for coming to Columbus. Uh, I think it's time that we better head towards the vans, move you to hotels, uh, and remember eventually if you're joining for dinner, uh, head a few blocks north of the hotel or join uh, Dana for around 5.45 or so uh, to walk two, three blocks north. Thanks, folks.
2: Yes,
4: yeah. So we are going to
2: to are going to